You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hello, City Church. Thank you for being here for the 1130 service. That helps us as we try to accommodate as many people as possible uh, across three services on Sunday. You know, this past week, I've heard that we had an amazing women's gathering here on Monday night where we got to hear from uh, one of our members, Sonia Cabell, give her testimony. And then our, uh, one of our vocalists, Leah Langston, provided a charcuterie board uh, for the ladies to, to eat. And I have to admit, I had to ask, what is a charcuterie board? Um, and once I found out what it was and I saw pictures from it, I was a little jealous that I wasn't here uh, to be a part of that. Men, as you saw in the video, mark your calendars and RSVP online for our next men's gathering on Monday, September 12th. Uh, I cannot promise a charcuterie board, uh, but I will assure you that we'll have something good to eat. Dinner is provided. We are in a series called Stuck in the Middle, and the idea behind this series of being stuck in the middle is we are stuck in a place where we're living between Christ's first coming that we celebrate at Christmas time and his second coming when he will return and judge the world, and in the meantime, we're here stuck in the middle. We also look at this, what theologians call the already not yet tension. What they mean by that is there are a lot of promises of God that we've already received and we've already seen have been fulfilled, such as Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But there are some things that we have not yet fully realized, which is when all of his promises come true, when when death and sin is defeated once and for all, and he returns, and, and evil is put down, and he's going to restore all things. And so we are living, having already received some of those promises and seen them come to fulfillment, but some have not yet come to fruition, but we know they are coming. But here we are, in the meantime, stuck in the middle. So how do we live faithfully in this position we find ourselves in? This morning, we're going to look more specifically at why is Christian community important while we are stuck in the middle. We're going to look at a few passages of Scripture this morning uh, briefly, but the main passage we're going to look at is from the book of Nehemiah. And so we'll be looking at Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 13, but just to give you a little bit of context, because I'm sure Nehemiah is probably not what most people are going through on a daily basis right now, but um, the context behind this is that the Jewish people had gone into exile uh, because of the Babylonian Empire, and because of the people of, of Israel, their sin had led them into exile as the Babylonians took them over. Well, then the next world power to raise up was called the Medo-Persian Empire, and they wiped out the Babylonians, and through the sovereignty of God, God uses a totally pagan king by the name of King Cyrus of Persia to issue an edict that all the Jews could now return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and the temple. And so what we find when we come into Nehemiah is this is nearly a hundred years later. Around the year 445 BC, Nehemiah is serving as a cupbearer to a successor king named Artaxerxes. And a cupbearer is someone who tastes food and, and tastes drink before the king to make sure that it's not poison. And so when you have a cupbearer, you have to have someone who is a very trustworthy individual. And we find that Nehemiah is that individual 
Nehemiah being a Jew serving a Persian king. Now, obviously, many Jews had returned to Jerusalem to help rebuild the temple and the city, but Nehemiah had stayed back serving in this position. So when Nehemiah hears reports coming out of Jerusalem that the walls surrounding Jerusalem were still laying in ruins, he weeps, he falls to his knees and prays to the Lord because you've got to understand the importance of this wall. You've got a city that's built, a temple that's been rebuilt, but walls protect against enemies coming into the city. They also protect against wild animals roaming. And you think about how many years the Jews were in exile and this is what was happening And so the walls had to be rebuilt. And so when Nehemiah finds out they're laying in shambles, then he falls to his knees before the Lord. And so he rises up and comes to King Artaxerxes and just requests of him, can I go and lead the expedition to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Once again, in God's sovereignty, takes a totally pagan king who authorizes Nehemiah to go and rebuild and lead that project. So as Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and takes a bunch of Jewish people with him to go and build the wall around Jerusalem, they face all kinds of opposition. And it's not just threats of violence, but it's actual violence itself carried out against the Jews as they're trying to rebuild the wall. Because there's a group of people known as the Samaritans, which if you know anything about the New Testament, you see them uh, pop up in the gospel account several times. But this is the same group. And Jews and Samaritans, when you look at the New Testament, there's clearly tension between those two groups of people. And some of that has to do with this story in Nehemiah where the Samaritans oppose the Jews building the wall around Jerusalem. And so this is where we come into verse 13 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah is talking, he says, So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall, at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord, and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, Every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the one who sounded the ram's horn was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. As if the work wasn't hard enough in building this wall, which best estimate is this wall was probably in this time period a mile and a half in length. And they're having to rebuild and repair it. As if this wasn't hard enough, they have people trying to kill them while they're rebuilding. I mean, can you imagine those of you that are in construction today? You're building a new building. And you've got you and your crew are out there working hard to build this massive structure. And all the while, you're having to fend off people who are trying to kill you while you do this. I mean, I can't even fathom that. And so that's the reality that they were living with. So the Jews had to stand together to protect one another as they accomplished what God had called them to do. Look at Nehemiah's words again in verse 14. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and 
awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. They needed to remember that the Lord was with them. I love the description, the great and awe-inspiring Lord. As we think about who God is and what he has accomplished, it should inspire awe in each one of us. They needed to remember that the Lord was with them. They not only had to remember that, they also had to remember that they fought for not just their families, but also their fellow Jews. And so with that, they had to band together. Look at verse 15 again. When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. Notice that because they trusted in God, God frustrated the people that were trying to attack them. He frustrated their plans and was enabling them to do the work that God had called them to do. Finally, look down again at verse 20, Nehemiah's command to the people. He says, wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. First of all, the command is for them to rally around one another. If they're too far isolated along that wall, they're going to get picked off by the enemy. They've got to come to a point when they hear the ram's horn being blown, then they know, okay, they're in trouble. We need to band together to fight this enemy. And so that's the command of Nehemiah is to rally around one another for support. Second, the promise is that they don't fight this on their own. It's not just the Jews out there who are having to build. I mean, you, I think about this. You're holding in one hand a tool to build the wall. On the other hand, you're holding a weapon. And so it, it's just an unbelievable situation that they're in, but they are not alone. And this is what Nehemiah wanted to remind them, that God is fighting for them. So as you're sitting there today and you go, this sounds great, Lance. I mean, what a nice story. I hope the wall got built and everything. But what does this have to do with Christian community? Well, I'm glad you asked. In the same way that God used his people, the Jews, to restore and rebuild what was broken physically, he uses his people, the church, to do the same spiritually. We are a bunch of broken people that thank God literally that he has restored us by his salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he has called us to be ministers of this restoration and reconciliation to God on his behalf. So the job of the church is to restore and rebuild what was broken in others' lives around us. Also, in the same way that God's people, the Jews, had to follow God and fight for one another against a physical enemy, today God's people, the church, must follow God and fight for one another against a spiritual enemy. You may or may not realize this, but if you are a Christian, you are at war. There is a real enemy. We don't believe that Satan is a figment of the imagination. He's not just a cartoon figure with a pitchfork and tail, pointy tail. He actually is real, and he is an enemy of God, and he hates everything about you because you are loved by God. We've got to come together and fight for one another because we are at war, and we must follow God in obedience. If the Jews in this time period building the wall, were isolated and divided, then the wall could never have been built. They would have never completed it because they would have fought against one another and they wouldn't work together and they wouldn't be able to provide mutual protection. In the same way, if the people of the church do not have Christian community, our isolation will lead to failure in the task at hand before us. 
as well as lead to destruction as we are picked off one by one by our adversary, whom 1 Peter 5, 8 describes as a roaring lion, roaming around seeking whom he can devour. By the way, as it turns out, the entire wall surrounding Jerusalem, remember, one and a half miles in length and between 15 and 30 feet thick, that wall was completed in 52 days. And you think about the technology today compared to back then, and it's a world of difference. 52 days is completely miraculous. I don't care what century you're living in. And yet, this is what they were able to do because they were together and God was leading them. So as we see the importance of coming together through this physical example and kind of portraying a spiritual example from this, from the book of Nehemiah, let's look at a New Testament passage briefly out of Hebrews 10. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 25. Just to kind of set a little bit of context here, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the importance of, of what Jesus has accomplished. He has made a way for us to be restored to God by Jesus' death and resurrection. And the writer of Hebrews says in verse 23, So let us hold on to the confession of our faith, of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now in verse 23, he says to hold on to the confession of our hope. This idea of holding on is to hold fast or hold tightly something. And what he's telling you to hold on to is hold on to the confession. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, our faith. What is it that we actually believe that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected? That we hold on to tightly because Jesus is our hope. And why can we trust that? Why do we hold on to this? Because God is faithful to complete his promises, to fulfill all of his promises. Verse 24, he says, and let us consider one another. This idea of considering means to pay careful attention to one another. So what he means by this is we need to watch out for each other. And what are we watching out for? Well, the, for the purpose of provoking one another to love and to good works. Now you might look at that word provoke and you think that sounds pretty negative. Well, usually that is the context that you see that used in, which would mean something like to irritate, all right? I don't think as the people of God were called to irritate each other. Sometimes we do that, but I don't think that was what was intended. What's intended in this context by the word provoke is to stir each other up to action. The action is to love. Jesus' great commandments are to love God and love others. And how is that lived out? Through our good works. We live out the love of Jesus by the actions that we do. And so this is what we are to stir up in each other to keep doing those things that God has called us to do. Verse 25 talks about not neglecting to gather together. There were people even in this time period who wanted to isolate. And the writer of Hebrews understood the danger of this. And he said, we cannot neglect coming together in Christian community. And the purpose of this is to encourage one another as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about here? Well, this day he's talking about is, again, this idea that we right now are stuck in the middle between Christ's first coming and his second coming. 
the day he's talking about is the day that Christ will return and will judge the world. So while there is still time, we are to encourage one another in Christian community. The word encourage here is used several times throughout the Gospel of John to describe the Holy Spirit, the encourager, the comforter. So while the Holy Spirit's ministry is to help comfort and encourage us, the people of the church are to also take that lead from the Holy Spirit and comfort and encourage one another. And so we are to do this again and again because we're in need of it. Now, how can we possibly comfort and encourage one another if we are not in community? There are many barriers to communion. If we know it's important, what keeps us from community? Well, Jeremy Lineman wrote a review of Jenny Allen's book, Find Your People, in an article on the Gospel Coalition website. And I took some of these and I kind of tweaked them a little bit and added another one uh, on there. So I'm just going to kind of give you six barriers to community, what people find difficult to be a part of Christian community. Number one is sin and selfishness. We are sinful, broken people. And so anytime we have sin, it separates us from God. And because we are called to be the people of God, it separates us from one another. We are very selfish people. You know, I want to be in community if it's about me. The problem is you want it to be about you. And so that's a barrier because we're not about each other. So that's a big barrier to community is sin and selfishness. Number two, radical individualism. We in the Western world have been brought up with the idea that you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. In other words, independence is highly valued. The rest of the world is largely a communal, corporate understanding of working together, but the Western world is very much individualized. And while there are some great things about that, there are also some barriers to community as we think we need to do it ourselves and on our own. So this becomes a barrier. Number three, on the move. What I mean by that is we're a very mobile society. We usually don't stay in the same place for our entire lives, and so we're on the move. Maybe a job changes that. Maybe uh, we move to be closer to our children. Whatever it is, we move and we move and we move. And so because you move so often, it's very difficult to have that investment in relationship, that investment in community. And so this becomes a barrier. Number four, the enemy. We've already talked about how the enemy disrupts us. He knows that if he can isolate us outside of Christian community, we are easier prey for him to pick off, just in the same way that Nehemiah recognized this physically when they were rebuilding the wall, that anybody who's isolated themselves is going to be easy to be attacked. And so he wanted them to come together to be able to protect one another. Number five, a history of hurt. A lot of people have been hurt in the past because they've allowed themselves to be vulnerable in community, and so they're not willing to do it again. They don't want to put themselves out there. Sadly, the church is not immune to this. Many people have been hurt by the church when someone has come into community and their trust has been broken. And so they end up saying, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to put myself out there again. And so there is a history of hurt that a lot of people have that are not willing to try that again. And then number six, one that I just kind of added here is what I call technological crutches. What I mean by that is that there are a lot of ways that our technology has helped us communicate. 
and we communicate over social media and all things online. And this has been great, it's been a, a great advancement for many reasons. But the flip side of that is we've become dependent on that technology to build community. And so people are not as comfortable being face to face with each other as they are sending text messages or social media blasts one way or the other. And so when we saw the pandemic uh, rock our world, we know that there are a lot of times where this was necessary for a time period to, to be distanced. And so when we came back together, a lot of people never did. And a lot of it, some people have health concerns that they didn't want to do that. For other people, that being online and watching stuff on a screen uh, or through a podcast is much more comfortable than actually coming physically coming together. And so that's become a crutch. We become dependent on technology rather than being willing to uh, risk it and be actually a part of Christian community. So if these are six, and you could probably name a dozen more, if these are six barriers to community, what are reasons for Christian community? Number one, God created us to be in community, not alone. And what I mean by that is God created us for community even before sin entered the world. In Genesis 2.18, God looked down at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. So what did he do? He created a woman. And so from that point, again, before the fall happened, we see that God's intention is that we become part of a community, not on our own. In Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, which we're not going to explore this morning, but that gives a picture of the early church and community. They gathered together on a regular basis to listen to the apostles' teaching, to pray, uh, to have a meal together, to have all things in common. So a good picture of what Christian community looks like. We are made to be in community, not alone. Number two, in the physical absence of Jesus Christ, the church is his hands and his feet as guided by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks a lot in his letters about the church being the body of Christ, with Christ being the head. And so as the body of Christ, we are one body with many different parts. That means that we don't all look the same, we don't have all the same giftings, we are different. There is unity through a diversity of parts. Therefore, all the parts are needed. And so we think about we need the church for community. We need the church for several reasons that, we will, that we're talking about today. But the church also needs us because we each bring a unique gift that God has given to us to function as the body of Christ. There are hands here. There are feet here. There are eyes here, ears, nose, mouth, so forth. We need all the parts of the body to work together. We are the body of Christ in the physical absence of Jesus. We are his body guided by the Holy Spirit. Number three, isolation opens us up to temptation. When we are isolated, we are easy pickings for the enemy to tempt us. And so we already saw in Hebrews 10 verse 24 that together we are to provoke one another to love and to good works. And the reason is we are reminding each other what we are called to do. We stir each other up to action, to love, to be obedient to what God has called us to do. Having multiple people speaking into each other's lives is a great asset to be able to do this. I mentioned on here in Matthew 6, 
many of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you have the whole thing memorized. Maybe you just have parts of it memorized. But one thing that I think we forget oftentimes, especially here again in Western culture, is this prayer was not not meant to be an individualized prayer in your closet. This prayer was supposed to be a corporate prayer as believers gathered together in Christian community. Think about how it starts. Our Father, not my Father, our Father. Again, in community, our Father who's in heaven. Think about toward the end of it where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, the idea is that it's assumed we will be in community with one another, and this is how we're going to overcome temptation with God's help. James 5.16 really stresses the idea of confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. Again, the idea is isolation opens us up to temptation while being together helps us to be able to fend that off. Number four, Christian community provides spiritual protection. We've already seen the book of Nehemiah and this story of them building the wall and needing physical protection from these enemies who are trying to uh, attack them and kill them while they're building something. In the same way, the, the church, as the church, we are to be building God's kingdom because God has called us to be his conduits of, of restoration and reconciliation to other people. And so while we're doing that, don't think for a minute that we are not under attack because we are. And so we need the spiritual protection of being together. Paul tells, tells the leaders of the church in Acts 20, as he is about on his way to, to Rome, ultimately, he tells them to protect the flock against wolves. Wolves uh, can be outside the church, but they can also dress up in sheep's clothing within the church. But the idea is to be in community together and protect against this enemy to provide spiritual protection. Number five, Christian community provides mutual encouragement in the faith. We already saw in Hebrews 10, 25 that we are to encourage one another as we see the day of the Lord's coming, coming. <laughs> and then also we see in 1 Thessalonians where there were a lot of people freaking out about the idea of what if, what if we die before Jesus returns, what's going to happen? And Paul writes and says, hey, we're all going to meet him in the sky. And because of his resurrection, we will be resurrected. So death is not the end. And so at the end of that important passage, Paul says, encourage one another and comfort one another with these words. The idea is that reminding one another that our hope of resurrection is in Christ. We need to provide mutual encouragement in the faith. Number six, unity sends a message. Unity sends a message. In 1 Peter 2, Peter describes us as aliens and strangers. And that's where we're roaming through a world that we're supposed to be here, but this is not our home. And so we are aliens and strangers walking in a foreign land. We are stuck in the middle, roaming through this world this way. And so what should we do? We should be unified in stirring each other up to good works and pointing people to uh, Christ. And so Distinct people live distinct lives that point to a distinct God. Jesus also prays in John 17 that we would, as believers, be unified so the world may see that we are united in him. Unity sends a message to a lost and dying world. And finally, if all this wasn't enough, number seven, 
Jesus has commanded us to be in spiritual uh, in, in Christian community. Jesus says in, in John 13, a new commandment I give to you to love one another. How can we love one another if we are never together? We desperately need Christian community while we are stuck in the middle. We are a bunch of imperfect people with lots of baggage, but we are unified in our worship of a perfect and holy God who has laid our baggage on his one and only son, Jesus, who died in our place and rose again. If you have not trusted in this one who has died for you, we have people in the care room after the service that would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you just need someone to pray with. We have people that would love to pray with you. Maybe you're somebody who has not found Christian community, or maybe you gave up on it because you've been hurt in the past. I hope we can get you connected. Stop at the Connect desk after the service. We'd love to get you connected to a city group or a Bible study. These things are just starting this week and over the next few weeks. One day, Christ will return and restore all things. May we be in Christian community until that day, stirring each other up and encouraging one another to persevere in the faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us on the cross, God, and reconciling us to God. Lord, we also recognize the importance of being in spiritual community. Lord, we know that isolated, we are bound to fall to temptation. We are under attack from a real enemy. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand the importance of that and that we would cover for one another. Lord, that we would be in Christian community and we would point people to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.